Welcome to Whatcha Wearin'. On this episode, we're going to tell you all about our favorite winter hot looks. That's right, the hot and the hot looks of mm-hmm. winter. A fabulous vocabulary word. I'm sorry. Did I say vocabulary? I meant... Vocabulary. That's right. And then a <laughs> tour of our favorite New York brand. Yes. Bergdorf Goodman. Shopping. Mark Allen. It is so great to be with you again. How are you? I am good. Are you good? Are you keeping busy? Keeping busy, staying positive, I love and it. creative. I love oh my gosh, I'm dying for your t-shirt. Can you please, since since the people at home can't see this t-shirt, I'm just gonna read it to you. So the front of his t-shirt says, Naomi Campbell slapped me. And I was like, oh, what? And then the back of it says, and I slapped that bitch back. (laughs) (laughs) A throwback to the uh, assistant incident. I mean, or was it the housekeeper that she threw the phone at? Was she? Yeah. I feel like it was, I I feel like there was more than one incident, but there was definitely an assistant. And it was a weird time of throwing, because I feel like Naomi Campbell and Russell Crowe both threw phones at people, like within a six month period. It was like celebrity rage or something. So Russell has a, well, they both have histories of some volatile (laughs) attitude. We'll say that. We're going to call it volatile attitude. I love that. Yeah, it's a very volatile attitude. I mean, at least Naomi Campbell has those hips to justify her attitude. I don't know what Russell Crowe thinks he has, but you know. Uh, speaking of attitude, I have had quite an attitude lately because I've really been... Please tell me why. Uh, you know. You know why. I have been really trying to bring our... Like, one of the, the segments that we do are the hot looks. And yes. that's where we go out, we find ourselves being inspired by something... Mm-hmm. And then we come together and we share about it and right. we talk. Well, I've just found lately it's just much harder to do with the world kind of closed down. You know, like I remember, I remember before COVID, mm-hmm. we would have so many times when there'd be like at least one or two movie premieres a week. Yeah. There'd be stuff happening on Broadway. There'd be there'd parties, be parties events. events, fundraisers. And there were red carpets everywhere. Yeah, every night. Basically. Every night. And you were basically, you could go online at any time, Getty Images. Yeah. And just see some fabulous fashion. Yeah. And it's really hard now to look and find inspiration. Well, you just, you know, you just hit on something when you said, when you said Getty Images. It just made me think, what are all those photographers doing now? I mean, Think about that. Yeah. Like what? Hundreds and thousands of photographers. I just thought of that. That's wow. It's a whole industry that they're, you know, maybe hopefully they're doing like a lot of us have been doing and they're, they had saved enough money to survive and they're organizing their art and they're organizing their photos and archiving stuff. And, you know, because sometimes we just don't get a chance to get caught up. But I just found it to be really interesting that the, um, the flow of things that come to us is not, I guess externally we would be more stimulated and inspired. Mm-hmm. And now we're really being required to inspire ourselves. Yeah. Like we have to see something to go and create. Like this whole podcast we created, we really are creating this ourselves. Yeah. And we're yeah. inspiring each other. We're having conversations with each other. And hopefully 
providing other people with some inspiration and some information. But like, it's just interesting to me to think about, you know, how spoiled we are normally. Yeah. Well, you know, the old, it's cliche as it is, you don't know what you have till it's gone, so. Don't know what you got. It's true. Till it's gone. <laughs> See, this is why I don't sing. I don't know if I heard that rendition. Isn't that every rose has a thorn? I just sang the oh, wrong right. song. Oh, right, okay. I just sang a, yeah, wow. Yeah. Prom. It, it, Prom 1993. <laughs> thank you, thank you, and thank you. <laughs> I know you don't know anything about 1993 over there, William, but I'm just telling I you. I do indeed. So we have to go and get ourselves inspired on our own. And I've, and I've noticed from Vogue.com that the collections and all the designers have had to get really creative as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, they've had to find new ways of, well, just for their livelihood, how to present their next collection. They also needed to get inspired but had to find a way of learning how to present it to the world where it wasn't, people didn't check out. Because at least as the normal fashion shows, there's the, you know, it's the crowd, it's the front row, it's, you know, the, the hustle and bustle. Yeah. So now they're, they're having to find alternative ways. But I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing. Like some are doing um, short films. Yeah, it's interesting. They're really using media and all of its you know, grandiosity yeah. to create, oh, good word, Mark Allen, uh, and all of its, uh, to, to really create the experience of the, and I feel like Burberry was doing that before COVID, that they really had started doing these presentations that were interesting and not necessarily audience-based. Mm-hmm. And I guess Alexander McQueen was the same way. Oh, yeah. He was doing these shows that were, you know, you're almost better to watch the whole thing on camera. It's like the Super Bowl. There's so much going on that you're much better off to watch it from home on a TV. 100%. Than to be in the middle of it. Right. Like, completely, you know, titillated the entire time. Right. And And what I, also what I noticed was in the casting of some of these said, uh, because they would be, there were some that did kind of mock photo shoots or, like I said, short films, they would cast uh, sometimes actors and, like, real people, which is kind of smart because you can see these high-end uh, brands, their pieces on, you know, on regular people, or your everyday people, and then that can kind of draw in another audience to their clothes as opposed, as opposed to just the fashion people or just models. So that's something I noticed that was kind of cool. You got- and I love how William is always saying things like, oh, you know, the regular people, you know, those normal six-foot-tall size two billionaires, the regular people. Right! But, you know, <laughs> they, you know they just, the, 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 the casting was a lot uh, more diverse. Yeah, but don't you think that that's coming anyway, the diversity of casting? I, mean, I don't I- know if that would have happened had COVID not happened. I no. don't... I don't- I not it, put it this way, not as many people doing that, and maybe not as quickly as, right. the, as the transition. Because there, there are certain brands that always, you know, reached out to a large demographic of customers, but I think that it's a lot more that are basically forced to do that. So. I also, I wonder if that's partly because models and all that just aren't traveling around the world like that. I mean, an American can't even fly to Europe right now. Yeah. So I mean, I, you I would do local talent. You have yeah. to use local talent, and yeah. so if you're stuck in Belgium or you're stuck in. Berlin, and you're stuck in, you know, I say stuck, but I very much like to be in those places. Same. Um, <laughs> stuck in London or stuck in Paris. Oh, you actually everything. have to use the people that are around you yeah. to make the segment happen. 
and do your do use your talent in that way the people that are around you which is quite organic that way i think yeah and to your point when you were talking about inspiration a lot of these designers had to get their inspiration like let's say if there was an american cuz now we have a couple of american fashion directors of european brands they had to get their inspiration let's say in their chelsea studio mm. And have it translate to their sewers in Paris. So it, the, the process is way different. Like, Yeah. I mean, you don't think that they're sneaking those people in there on private planes? Oh, no. I don't think so. I don't think... I, I no. bet you some of those people are getting Because it's such anyway. a strict... Like you said, it's such a strict band on travel to Europe for American creative director for a French house. You yeah, I guess you can't really hide either. You can't go there. Like, you can't. It's hard for you to select fabrics, and it, it's it's it, it can be done, but it's really difficult. It must be all Zoom. They must be doing Zoom. And Tons of it. Doing, yeah. Tons well, of I would it. think that they're probably looking the same place as we are for inspiration. Instagram. They're probably looking on that TikTok thing, which I have not dived into yet. I can't. I mean, I can't. I can't. Um, and then Vogue.com, <laughs> right? And then the newspapers and really looking to see what's capturing what's going on. But, you know, so many times designers talk about my collections based on my trip to here and what I saw here. And what I, I mean, right now, if you went out to the average, you know, town center mm-hmm. in America or most of Europe, it's like quiet. Yeah. People are masked. People are six feet apart. Like, it's not that. It's very, very, it's real quiet and docile and, yeah. Yeah, it's not, so Somber, based on that, so. Based on that, the next two collections are going to be all black caftans. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of what's interesting is that was the presentation for Margiela. And what it was, was it was Jean Galliano on Zoom with like the, the, the seamstresses in one city, the, uh, the casting people in another city. And then that's how they, that's, that was how they showed the collection, was mm. the process of figuring all this out. I mean, I really do think, too, that it is going to change, as many things have changed through all this, the way that people do fashion. And oh, that yeah. maybe designers figure out ways to work remotely and work, you know, live at their house in Palm Springs and still do a Paris collection. You never know what's yeah. coming. But I, I still think that it's going to have to... To get that true inspiration, there's, you know, there's a lot of kind of, there's a lot of back and forth with, like, let's say, I don't know, the pattern maker right, in, right, in the right. workroom that might suggest a certain detail that you didn't think of. That, that you know, the group of people of in it. a room. Yeah. yeah. The, the collaboration of it and fitting it on the model and being there for the model fitting and all that. That is, yeah. that, that I don't think you can replace. Yeah. So, I don't know. We, it will be interesting times to we, see. We'll see. What I'm even more interested about right now is what is our vocabulary word of the day? Foo! Fabulary word of the day is uh, fabrications. I'm, I'm a textile geek, so... Fabrica- is- what do you mean fabrications? That's the word? No, no. Fabrications is what it is. What, I'm, what the word is going to be, which is... Charmeuse. Charmeuse. Okay, but what does fabrications have to do with charmeuse? Charmeuse is a fabrication. 
Oh, so it's just not... What's the difference between a fabric and a fabrication? It's just... No, it's the same word. It's like a fabric on vacation is a fabrication. Hey! Uh, <laughs> sure! <laughs> Whatever you I'm say. I'm here dude. all week, people. <laughs> Tip you your waiter. Click, you can just click rewind and listen to that over and over and over again. Just knock yourselves out, people. We'll give you a moment now to do that. Or not. Or not. Okay. <laughs> so the vocabulary word of the day is what? Charmeuse. Charmeuse. Usually silk charmeuse, but charmeuse. It's a lightweight fabric woven with a satin weave, which the warp threads cross over four or more times with backing in the threads. Uh, One side is normally shiny and the other side is matte. Okay, no way. You just yes. said satin charmeuse? Because I always think of silk as being the charmeuse. So charmeuse is always silk. Well, there's silk charmeuse. There's, there's other kinds of... But can you have like a polyester charmeuse? I hope not, but <laughs> but probably, yeah. I know, polyester has gotten really good. There's been yeah. some really good polys out there. Yeah. But the charmeuse then has to do with how the fabric is woven? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. And normally it'll be out of a, like a, a satin sheen on one side and like a matte finish on the other side. And you always use the satin sheen for the outside and then the matte for the inside. Traditionally, yes, yeah. but not always. Okay. Not always. Do people ever double ply it so they have the shiny on both sides? Well, I mean, I think if you needed to do that, it would probably be cheaper to just get silk. Oh. Because it's already a slightly heavy fabric, so I think if you doubled it, that would kind of weigh down the garment. Now, why would people use a charmeuse then if they don't just... Like, what's the point of having a charmeuse that has one side that's not as shiny as the other? Well, it's not. It's not about the point. Is that's 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 what the fabric naturally does. Oh, okay. Because a lot of times fabrics are the same on both sides. Got it. Okay. Good. And you know so when I mean? people use silk charmeuse, like they normally is that I would think of it being used for silk, like for not for silk, but for skirts. And Skirts, for like slip gowns, dresses, yeah, gowns, mm-hmm. slip dresses, mm-hmm. and it's a very unstructured fabric, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to our last vocabulary, it is some a lot of times cut on the bias. Uh, look at we are compounding. See, see that tie-in? We are compounding <laughs> vocabulary words. There will be a test at the end, just so you're all prepared. Okay, good. So, and I and I also think that I get the word chartreuse and charmeuse confused. I am so mad at you right now. Yeah. <laughs> So I keep wanting to say silk chartreuse. Um, <laughs> no. But it's chartreuse silk, and chartreuse is actually a color. Yes, yeah, Which is color. like puke green, right? Puke is not the word. Is that not the technical term? No. You're so smart. P maybe. <laughs> oh, P is so much better than puke. P yes, green. it's charmeuse, not chartreuse. Okay, good. So you understand, everybody, it's charmeuse, not chartreuse. Yeah. And it's spelled C-H-A-R-M-U-S-E. M-E-U. S-E. It's French. Oh, it's French. They add that E in the end. So, Charmeuse. Charmeuse, yes. Charmeuse. And it's a very luxurious fabric. It's it's gorgeous. And it's made out of just like beautiful little silk threads. It's just the way that it's constructed gives it that wonderful drape that it has. Yes. And how does it fall differently than a regular silk? It's got a heavier weight to it. Silk can be a little uh, airy and lighter. Charmeuse would have more of a heavier, almost satin weight to it. So that matte finish on the inside of the fabric would probably provide for a really nice um, fit 
because that was absolutely that was that would probably stick to the body bag. Yeah, it would cling to silk. That would just slide clean. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. Wow. You you teach me so much, William. I try. You just teach one me stitch at a time. One stitch at a time. <laughs> you have me in stitches. Do you also boom, ha- boom. do you also happen to have a hot look for this week? I do have a hot look, and again, there's gonna be a tie-in. Uh-oh. But it was on the last collection show at Balma, and it was actually, I know it's supposed to be one hot look, but there were two looks that I, I died for. And uh, the first look was, I don't know how he did this, but it visually looked like, think of a sleeveless, uh, let's say bodice. What's a bodice? Bodice would be... Like a bustier? The bodice would be the part of the body that I would say is from, let's say, the Adam's apple to... So the bodice is like if you lost your arms and your legs and you got set down there. That's a bodice. Torso. Let's say hashtag torso. torso. Hashtag torso. Yes. Does it have to be a hashtag? Why has it got to be a hashtag? Well, I'm trying to, you know... (laughs) Keep up with the kids. <laughs> the kids. <laughs> the kids. But there was one piece he did in like a, a, a candy apple red leather bodice, but it appeared to look like draped wet chiffon. Mm. So it looked like draped leather, but it looked like wet leather that was molded onto the model's body. And it was just, I mean, it looked like armor, but it was so gorgeous. Was it attached to a bustier thing or something with a no, boning or something with a No, that's, I, I have to try to figure out how they did it. But no, there's no boning. It was, it was almost like a, not a, not a cage, but it, it was almost, you know what? It was almost like a, a plaster cast. Oh, wow. It was almost like a plaster like cast. Like that much shape to it. Right. And it's, so this is Balmain 21, spring 21? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I noticed online they showed a lot of pre-fall, yeah. which I'm like, isn't that resort? What happened to the world? Will you please explain I, that to me, William? I got, we, I got to do research on that. I think that's, that's just a word that was created to sell another grouping of pieces, right? I think. Yeah, I, 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 you know, we talked about that earlier, how people are receiving collections all year long now because of the instant demand for stuff. So I think that they are trying to create these seasons. And um, unlike at Gucci, they're just saying, we don't have seasons anymore. We just have clothes arriving all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you go in there right now, they have like white linen and, you know, black velvet and corduroy and, you know, plaids and gingham all on the same rack. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting idea. And it's also interesting to think that right now we're in winter, but Australia is going into summer. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's half the world has opposite seasons. Yeah. So it's a very Eurocentric point of view to release a collection and call it fall when people in, you know, half the planet, half the planet yeah. are going into summer at that same time. Yeah. Yeah. So the other piece that was in that collection that I have to talk about is there was a, the vibe of the collection, I would say, basically, how to describe it is one word I can think of is swashbuckling. Wow, what is swashbuckling? Uh, think pirates. Like a pirate term. Yeah, pirates. Think of 
like poetic blouses, um, thigh like high boots. blouse, that big white. Yes, thigh, okay. exactly. A oh. lot of that actually. Really, a lot of that actually. Gautier did that the best in the nineties. Yeah, you just say yeah. Aww. But he did another piece that was basically the best way to describe it is a same crimson red silk charmeuse trench with a black velvet lapel, high slit, slight train. With velvet, black velvet, thigh-high boots. That same look Sierra wore at the AMAs. And Sierra is a singer? The singer, yes. Is she's Sierra? Sierra. Is it Sierra or Sierra? It's, I guess how you... I mostly hear it Sierra. Oh my gosh, you don't even... I don't even know what we're talking it's about. It's Sierra. <laughs> but, but what I love... I go to the Sierra Nevada mountains with my parents. <laughs> but I love what twist she did on it was she wore her hair in cornrows. Oh, nice. So I thought that was kind of an urban, modern twist on the couture of Balmain. So I love that. So those are my uh, choices of my oat looks. I I was, you know, like I had said earlier, I'd just been struggling trying to find and trying to... And then it just came to me that really I've, I just finished a series on HBO Max called The Undoing. <gasps> mm. oh, so good. With an old Hugh Grant. Thank God the man's finally aged. I mean, he did, it, I mean, come on. How long is he going to look 40? I mean, he's like so annoying. So now he looks 65. God bless him. Oh, yeah. I don't and, think he looks that old. Do you oh, yeah. So? Well, I just think it's... I just... Yeah. Remember him and Divine? Divine Brown, the hooker? I forgot. Remember? Oh, and he got caught in that hooker. About that. Now, I heard the best thing on the radio. I'm going to tell you. This is not tell about it. my look, but I'm going to tell you yes, this anyway. let's hear it. So, um, Divine Brown, I think was her name. Uh, yes. She was on a New York radio show. Prior to after, this or after? Okay. After that happened. Okay. And someone asked him, asked her, I don't understand, like, in the middle of Hollywood, how you guys got pulled over. Like, I don't understand what the... Why would the police even like see your car? Hollywood's full of people, and what what was what were you guys doing? She said, "Well, uh-uh. he had the lights on in the car, like not the inside lights, but the, he didn't turn the car completely off." Uh-huh. And she said, "While I was doing my business, his foot, sound check, his foot was pumping the brakes, right." Oh my god! So she's doing oh his bus- she's doing her business, right? He's sitting there in the driver's seat. She's leaning over, looking for quarters or whatever she's doing. Sure. And while she's down there doing her business, he is pumping the brakes. And so they thought the car was under distress because they just saw these fast flashing brake lights, and that's how Hugh Grant got arrested in Hollywood. Thank you. <laughs> Bring a new meaning to pump your brakes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I was saying about that. So ever since I saw that, I was just like, oh my gosh, I love that girl. She's like, I don't, what kind of fool? She goes, I have been working there for a long time and never had any problems. I'm like, first of all, girl, you're working in cars in Hollywood. Yeah. That's like, that's yeah. kind of lowbrow. But that's, that's how it began. Well. <laughs> that's how it began. Not that's, for me. That's the office. <laughs> that's the office. <laughs> anyway, so um, he was not my hot look. What my hot look was was yes. Nicole Kidman. Yeah, there now, were some great looks. She, the coats, it was really the magic of coats. And I feel like 
she wore a green coat and the then tweed, she had yeah. this beautiful rust color coat and then for the trial at the end she had all these gorgeous embroidered coats that I I thought the embroidered one looked like Etro like it was it felt like that yeah they, they were just so beautiful and rich and they were interesting choice um in that you know sometimes I think that uh, wardrobe stylists really get I don't know, they try and get subconscious. And one of the things that I thought was very interesting was that the only coats of all the coats that they showed that had buttons were the ones for the trial. Hmm. And that's where she was finally got her own and she was finally ready to go and testify and do her thing. And up in the tell that they were all robe style with ties in the front. Huh. Which I think is I a really that. representative of the undoing. That could yeah. easily be undone. And her She's, character, yeah. And that the character was not tight. The character was unraveling. And the character... I just thought it was... I didn't even think right? it was... Wow! So I read that that when I go, wow, that's really such a brilliant addition to the storyline. That's when wardrobe can become part of the storyline. And the colors and the... It just made me want to live in New York and walk around in, co- in coats in the middle of the night. I just, no, I love that I miss about doing that. that. It just has, there. I have a coat closet full of coats that need to, that just need to be worn. And I just walk up and down my hallway in them like a fool. But that's, that's my coat story. Well, with global warming, it's, you're going to have, <laughs> you're going to have more reasons to wear coats going forward. Well, they say it's extreme, right? So it's going to get really cold and then really hot and then really cold and yeah. really hot. So who knows? There's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. <laughs> <laughs> my Swedish host mother once said. <laughs> All right, it's time for Brand View. Brand View. All right, so tell us, William, all about Bergdorf Goodman. <sighs> First of all, it is my favorite. I mean, I have shopped and been in some of the most luxurious shopping experiences all over the world. And personally, and maybe it's because I'm a native New Yorker and I'm partial to it, Bergdorf's is like the crowned jewel as far as retail experiences to me. To me. Now, what makes it that for you? Um, I think because it's not a chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's just, it's because it's New York. It's, it's an epitome of, of New York. There are pieces that you would find there that you're not going to find anywhere else because they're very particular about exclusivity when yeah. about their brands. There's things you find there you're not going to find it down the street at Saks. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you for me that being in the store and it has... Every floor, floor has windows looking outside. Mm-hmm. So it's not like um, a lot of the other stores where you get in there and you could be in Wisconsin. You right. Know where you are. Like you right. see New York uh, as yeah. you're shopping at Bergdorf's. Yeah. And the quality and the level of the salespeople there, you just don't run across a, a dumb, dumb salesperson. Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, I'm sure we'll find one one day now that we've said that. But no, no. I mean, they, the people there, are, they're game on. They're, they're legit. They're legit. But um, they were begun by Edwin Gold- Goldman, and he. Bought- <laughs> <laughs> what was that look for? You guys, he just gave me a horrible eye roll or a side eye or a combination of those. Edwin, so say that again. Edwin Goodman. Okay. Was Not from- Goldman. No. Okay. Goodman. Goodman. That of makes Lock- sense. Bergdorf Goodman. Uh huh. Lockport, New York, is where he's from, and he borrowed some money from his uncles. And purchased a stake in a then, actually infamous, 
tailor named Hermann Bergdorf. Mm. Bergdorf was French and was, let's say, an older gentleman, but was like a master, master tailor. But he became so popular with his clients, he had a tendency to make them wait while he enjoyed a bottle or a glass of wine. A glass of wine or a bottle of wine. It's very important Som- for the story. Sometimes one or the other. <laughs> but he was kind of an older man, kind of set in his ways. And then Edwin Goodman was kind of the young, bright-eyed, what are we going to do to take on the world guy. So he was kind of the face of the brand in the beginning and like the handsome charmer. Oh, like uh, me. Uh, yeah, that. yeah. So they're for <laughs> the more side eye, more side eye. My direction, just so you all know. Just want to keep everyone updated with what's happening in the studio here. So the first location, because it actually had a couple of locations, which I didn't know. It had a couple of locations. The first one was a modest spot on Fifth and Nineteenth Street, which is downtown. Um, so that was you know how basically how they began. Uh, Goodman was about to get married. And went on his honeymoon in Europe. While he was in Europe, Bergdorf's trying Bergdorf trying to be, I guess, frugal, decided to move the store to a less desirable spot on Thirty Second and Thirty Second. So that's like Thirty Second and Thirty Second. Yeah, I'm sorry, Thirty Two. <laughs> I mean, I apologize. Thirty Second, that's not in New York, sweetheart. That's like way over in Brooklyn. Somewhere. No, that's the Thirty Two West Thirty Second Street. Okay, Thirty Two West Thirty Second. Thank you. So Goodman came home from his honeymoon and on that high and was pissed. Boy, he was probably happy not to have Facebook back then. He, he was seen- pissed <laughs> to find that Bergdorf had changed the location. So he bought, he was pissed, so he bought Bergdorf out, and Bergdorf retired to Paris. Now, when was that? This was... Like in the early, like early 1900s? This is, yeah, yeah. 19, let's say 1913. Wow, okay, yeah. good. So in 1914, Goodman upgraded to a five-story building at 616 Fifth Avenue. Wow. Constructed to his specification. As his clients, his client list quickly grew, every floor started to fill up. Goodman felt there was a way to encourage his women to reject the Victorian restrictions. So we're we're transitioning from, you know, corsetry and bustles and and, and things like... Hats and gloves, too, Hats and gloves, right. Yeah. So then he he hired this infamous dressmaker named... By the way, can I just interject? Yeah. What an interesting time that was. Yeah. To actually start showing things that maybe showed the collarbone, yeah, and maybe showed a forearm, yeah. like that was because up racy, to then they were really covered up, right? That that was that racy of a thing, and now you know people are in like basically in bikinis and blazers going to the American Music Awards, right, right, and you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're all just going to be naked eventually with pasties on their titties. I'm just saying. A la Kim. A la Kim. A la little Kim. <laughs> so Goodman hired a dressmaker named Ethel Franco, who was like the master of dressmaking. And she actually, going back to our talk on Bias Cut, she actually began, because a lot of their pieces that were in the store in the beginning were, I guess, what we call today private label. Okay. So she started doing Bias Cut skimming silhouettes a la, you know, The Great Gatsby. And now was she then doing them in the brand, the ticket and the clothing would say Bergdorf Goodman then? Yeah. 
Wow, I yeah. bet those are valuable if you could find any of yeah. those clothes. Yeah. And because of her flawless eye and because she knew the client and knew what the women wanted and also being a woman herself, she became the head buyer and would fly to Europe for Fashion Week. Wow. And this is in the early teens and 20s then? Yeah, this is early 1900s, yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking this is around 1916, something wow. like that. So under Goodman's guidance, she became a huge fashion director. And the two as a pair were unstoppable. Wow. So it's so smart to get someone that has the quality craftsmanship together with someone that has like the, the you know, the circus master, right? What's the name? That got the, the guy that the can ring really... Leader. The ringleader. The ringleader. really go in there and, and create the attention and bring people in and then have the product available... To fulfill on the promises that the ringleader makes. Yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, with the threat of a major development, uh, that being Rockefeller Center, that meant several blocks, five av Fifth Avenue blocks, including Bertha Goodman, was going to be demolished. So they had to move again. Then they moved to its current location, a few, a few blocks north, 1 West 57th Street, which was Cornelius... Vanderbilt's 130-room mansion. What? Yes. So you mean the current Burdorf Goodman is the Vanderbilt's old mansion? The location. Got it. So that's Anderson Cooper's great-great-granddaddy's house. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Anderson Cooper's mama was Gloria Vanderbilt, the, yeah. K the Kmart jeans lady. And it's that whole block. It's that whole block. Wow. So Goodman acquired this from the widow, Alice Vanderbilt. The home was originally designed after the chateaus in Paris. Hmm, I can see that. It was the largest private res resident ever to be built in America at the time. Wow, no, so it was 130 bedrooms or just 130 rooms? 130 rooms, 130 right? rooms. Wow. Yes. That's more than I got. Yes. So... In the rubble of what remained Goodman, he saw an opportunity to construct his own dream atelier. The new building would be erected on its sacred land, would be designed by Buckman and Kahn. The new store opened in 1928, but unfortunately, the stock market crashed oh, yeah. <laughs> a year later. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> but you know what? Ironically, the business really, really thrived because it was a haven, I guess, basically for the people. I hate to say this, that basically were not affected. It was yeah. it was where they could escape and still have some sort of normalcy and being able to shop and feel still feel that their their lifestyle was not being altered. Mm. Luxury is always there. There will always be, like, even in, you know, 2010, when all these people lost their homes and all that crazy happened, you know, there were people becoming billionaires off of that. Yeah. yeah. So the money moves around. It doesn't disappear into a dark hole. No. So when a bunch of people lose money, a bunch of people are making money. Yeah. So the home sell, sold for, wait for it, and remember what time this was. The home sold for $7.1 million. Wow. That was then. <laughs> wow. Yep. 
Wow. The following year, the home was demolished. Weeks before the home was demolished, Mrs. Vanderbilt would allow a tour through the home, 50, 50 cents a ticket, and the proceeds went to New York Association for improving the conditions of the poor. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Vanderbilt. Which I thought was really, really, really sweet. That's Anderson's grandma. Yeah. Isn't that crazy, by the way? Go yeah. Ahead. Yeah. So the annual revenue of Bergdorf Goodman is today one point. I'm sorry, one twenty one point nine four million dollars. Okay. Has seven hundred employees, which I actually thought was low, but it says in all sites that it's twelve thousand employees. So I have a feeling they might be grouping. They might. They're grouping Neiman Marcus. They're grouping Neiman sure. Marcus because I think seven hundred even sounds high. Because when I read, well. Yeah. It's only a seven-story building. That's true. You know, that's like 100 employees per floor. That's That's a men's store. So there there might be something a little little funky with that particular number. But you said they're doing $129 million a a year? Uh Mm Uh-huh. Wow. So it's basically $10 million a month they're doing. Yeah. And what they did was the top level of the building was a 16-room penthouse. Yeah. Now that's where uh, Goodman lived with his family. But in order for them to legally live there, they had to be on paper janitors. Yes, I heard this. Now you know what else? I have a client and friend in Atlanta, and she dated one of the Goodmans and oh, wow. actually went up to the penthouse. Yeah, and there were trip. times they say that like, like Mrs. Goodman would like be in a marabou robe. And go down in the elevator and, like, just walk through the store. <laughs> and shop and pick up pieces. And... Can I just tell you that that's what you would do? Oh, 100%. I would just see you, like, with the, eye, with the eye mask on your forehead and the caribou slippers and the little robe. I can totally see that. 100%. And that'd be a short robe. Uh, oh, hey! Party! <laughs> but the space itself is really, really fascinating. Like, in the 60s, there was a famous... Uh, special by Barbara Streisand called Color Me Barbara. Yeah. That was filmed in Bergdorf's. Oh, they yeah. had shut down Bergdorf's, and if you get to see the, the, the film, that's all board, Bergdorf's in there. There's a shot of it uh, in The Way We Were. Because um, it's nestled basically south of Central Park. Um, there's Grand Army Plaza in the center. Then there's the Plaza, Sherry Netherland. So the smart thing is... So Sherry Netherland's a hotel. Yes, it's a hotel. Yeah, I have a client, actually, who only stays at the Pierre. No, not the Pierre. Is it yeah, Pierre the Pierre's right the corner? there. Uh, Sherry Netherland's the corner, but the, the Pierre Sherry is... Sherry Netherland a- is where my client says, and she only will stay in a room that she can see Bergdorf's. Yeah. And she, when she was with her husband and her, they wanted to move out of New York, she said, okay, but we get to go every year, and I get to stay in a room yeah. that stares at Bergdorf Goodman. Yeah, and honestly, for me personally, for nostalgia, every season I go to New York for Fashion Week, I make sure I do lunch by myself in the restaurant because it overlooks Central Park, and it's just... It, it's so peaceful and so beautiful. The restaurant at Bergdorf's? Yeah. Oh, it is my favorite place to have lunch in New yeah. York. Now, I'll tell you, uh, when things open up again and get back to normal, as they say, you've got to make a reservation at least a week ahead anymore to go there. Like, in holiday time, you just can't walk in anymore. Yeah. 
It's not too, I mean, it's not too hard during fashion, but now that you say that, I could see it being a little tough It's gotten the really holidays. bad. Well, people just, you know, everyone goes into the city to do their Christmas shopping or do whatever, and they're seeing their friends. And I remember last year at this time, I was there having lunch with friends, and I got, like, one of the last lunch reservations. And it was just slammed, and there was a lot. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. It's small. It's not a very yeah, it's not big. So it's you got to get in, and, and they have this amazing Gotham salad. Oh, yum. I haven't had the Gotham salad. Yeah, that and soup and the bread and drinks and water and iced tea and cookies. and I'm hungry now. Anyway, yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we talked about the, the revenue. Um, then it was acquired by Neiman Marcus. Uh, Which but I was very afraid of when that happened. Because I, I felt was like... Af- I was Marcus afraid of that, too. But the smart thing is, Neiman Marcus only controls the business and the name. The Bergdorf's still own it. Oh. So think about that. And it's basically, most of Fifth Avenue is owned by foreign companies. It's the only American-owned piece of real estate on Fifth Avenue right now. Is that true? Yeah. Wow. What, are they mostly Chinese or Japanese or German or... I would think every. I would think Arabian. Uh, it's like you're like I don't know. <laughs> I would. I would think Arabian, uh, Chinese. Yeah. yeah. So it, that's that's a huge deal to still, you know, own your own building. Yeah, for you know? sure, for sure. So they're not paying a lease then. I didn't think of that. Right. So that helps a lot with your bottom line and the freedom you have to do the right thing and all of that. Yeah. And I think what they did, because they opened the men's store across the street. Yeah. And what they did with the men's store that's really smart, the women's store right now is very contemporary, very, very chic. But what they did with the men's side, it's almost, if you could imagine a, um, I don't know, an old English manor from upstate New York. So it's lots of mahogany walls. Yeah. tufted high back chairs and like think uh, I don't know burgundy uh, liquor and and cigars so it's a very masculine construction but then there's a fashion that's thrown in the middle of it so it doesn't scare a man that might think fashion and shopping might be for women yeah it's a very masculine experience yeah and it feels very old school and luxury and I think what they're trying to get they're trying to get that Park Avenue gentleman to come in and buy all of his suiting and his wardrobe there. Yeah. Because there are, you know, there are a lot of men in New York that still wear a suit every day. Yeah. And the smart, again, the smart thing is its location. Because with, with the hotels that I just, we just referenced. Yeah. Those, the wealthiest people in the world, when they go to New York, are normally at those four or five hotels. Absolutely. And the, the wealthiest people in New York are in that intersection. Right. They've got the big Tiffany's, Cartier down, I mean, everything is right there. It's such an amazing location. Yeah. And I think another smart thing they did that gave them the longevity is they never opened a bunch of stores. It's the only one in the country. Now, I also feel like part of their uniqueness is that they founded a lot of great brands. So I read oh, about yeah. Michael Kors. Yeah. His very first pickup was at Bergdorf's, right? His very yeah, first and store. they say Mrs. It's funny you say that. Mrs. Bergdorf. I'm sorry, Mrs. Goldman. Goodman. Goodman. There is no Goldman involved this time. <laughs> I think Goldman Sachs. Sorry about that. <laughs> Mrs. Goodman actually, like I said, remember she would you know go down onto the floor and be shopping in her robe, blah blah blah. Michael Kors was a visual person at a boutique across the street. Yes. And saw him in the window, and asked asked him about the pieces that were in the window, and he said, "I designed them." 
And that's how he got started, right? Yeah. And she said, then, would you be interested in designing some caftans? And that's how he started. Now, were there any other designers that they found? Yes. Halston wow. ran, ran the millinery department. Wow. That's how he got started. Millinery is the hat department. The hat right? department. Yeah. yeah. And that is a whole department back in the day. Yeah. And they you. say that if you're a designer, you you know you've arrived if your pieces are a very dark good. Right. And they also, I saw Isaac Mizrahi, after he had his whole, you know, explosion of his inner, of his business and ended up on QVC, he then had a private, he had, not a private room, but he had a room of Isaac Mizrahi mm-hmm. at, um... Um, Bergdorf's. That mm-hmm. was a just couture collection of one mm-hmm. of a kind, gorgeous gowns. And I actually bought a uh, men's tie that he did, and it's silver, and it's made out of uh, aluminum thread. Fantastic oh, wow. tie. It's like really quite brilliant. Wow. But it's just, it's it's called a different brand because he sold Isaac Rahi. He sold his own brand. That's right. So he doesn't. He can't do Isaac Rahi anymore, which is like so weird to me. Now another scan. Another scandal with Halston was. Okay, like I said, Halston was the head of the hat department. Then he went on to be a designer in his own right and was carried to Bergdorf's. Now, while he was wanting to expand his business, he was try- he tried to diversify into um, going over to JCPenney. Wow. So, the announcement of it... I think Halston's in JCPenney these days, by the way, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, well, this is the beginning of the end, because him trying to branch out, they did a big blitz to announce this collection at the Museum of Natural History. One of the executives from Bergdorf Goodman happened to see that and lost his mind. Wow. Because they felt like they had done all this work to promote him as a designer, and then he's going to cheapen the brand by going somewhere else. Wow. So that's how that relationship was severed. It's too bad when they... Everyone just gets a little jealous of each other. Yeah, well, a lot of these retail, retailers are really, really specific about um, exclusivity. And I get it. Yeah. How is their outlook? I mean, do you, when I go there, it still looks really busy. And they still sell out of crocodile loafers. And they've got people in there buying. I mean, I know that this is not their best year ever, but... I mean, I just wonder, do you, do you see Bergdorf Goodman being I think, there at that location for yeah, the next 100 I, yeah, years? Yeah, because I feel like, like I said before, because they didn't branch out into a million different places, there's a, there's a desire to go there because it's the only place to go. Right. And they think that's what's going to save them. Yeah, because it will always be an international shopping destination. Yeah, because if there was a bunch of them, then no. But yeah. Wow. Huh? Thank you, William. Yeah. Um, I love all that. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing all that work and giving us all that fantastic info on my favorite place as well to shop. Love. Now, listen. Tell me. We want to make sure that everybody is subscribing to this podcast. Yes. So if you have not yet subscribed, boo on you. Yes. But please subscribe. Forward to your friends. We're really so excited to be doing this and having... You listen, and we greatly, greatly appreciate it. And we created this just out of... We would we would have these conversations that sound just like what we just did over dinner. Yeah. And every once in a while, we would do that with other friends there. And they would watch us talking, and they would just learn so much. And yeah. they would just love it. Yeah. And we're like, oh, maybe we should do a podcast. Yeah. yeah. And so here we share are the doing a podcast. Thank you so much for listening to us. Click, like, and share. Click, like, and share. 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 <laughs> oh, Chaucer. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs>
<laughs> See you next time on What You Wearing. <laughs>